Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Beginning of the Tiananmen Square Massacre as Chinese troops open fire on pro-democracy supporters in Beijing. Eastern Europe's first partial free elections held in 40 years is held in Poland. The Solidarity Party comes to power, and the Supreme Court rules it's okay to burn the U.S. flag as a political expression. This is June 1989, and we're What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And Bruce is bringing us this album. That's right. Folks, this is Don Henley's album, The End of the Innocents. This is Henley's third studio album, and uh, of course we know Henley from where? The Eagles. The Eagles, indeed. So at the time, the Eagles had been broken up for almost a decade, and it would be another five years before they would record Hell Freezes Over. Oh. So this is kind of in the middle of that whole time. Uh, this is His first studio album was I Can't Stand Still, that you might remember Dirty Laundry. Yes. Oh, yeah. Kick it to the left, kick yeah. it to the right. <laughs> so that was in 82, and then in 84, he recorded Building the Perfect Beast, which I... Wonderful I, album. I played the fool out of that yeah. album. Didn't man. we do a staff pick off of that also, if I recall? If we haven't, we should have. I think we did. I, I think, think we so did. Too. So this song, this is the title track. This is The End of the Innocence. It's the first track off the album, and it's the first and most successful single from the album. And oh. who is that on piano? I was... When it started, I actually thought that we were... That uh, we were listening to, um, Dom Lott t- totally lost his name. <laughs> Bruce Hornsby. Thank you, Bruce Hornsby in the range. That is, he actually Bruce Hornsby actually co-wrote uh, this song, and um, he is playing piano on it. He would actually do this song as well on one of his albums. So, did, so was Bruce Hornsby always with Don Henley? Like, he, was he part no, of the band, no. or did he did Don Henley just bring him on maybe yeah, for this no. album? Or? He was he was just brought in. You know, I would say the Bruce Hornsby and Don Henley were very—they were—they were very involved in progressive uh, political uh, projects and things. So, so they were really brothers in arms here. Yeah, yeah. And this is the album is overtly political, oh, yeah. uh, especially this song. It's um, it's kind of a, a commentary. He's looking back on the eighties. And uh, if you look at the video, David Fincher did the video. It's a black and white video, and there's several very clear political comments. One, he shows Oliver North in the con- uh, congressional testimony when he has that line about armchair warriors often fail. Mm-hmm. And when they have that line about they're beating plowshares into swords for this tired old man that we elected king. Uh-huh. Who are they showing there? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. That's right. That's right. I find it interesting, though, that 
um, when you place these things in time and you see what what's happening, because he's talking about how bad things are, yeah. you know that that we're beating plowshares into swords. But then with the with the help of a few decades of, of perspective, 1989 was a fantastic time for right. Mm -hmm. You know, right. you were talking about the 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 fall of uh, the the uh, Iron Curtain yep. and uh, the Warsaw Pact. You know, goes away. The, the all of Eastern Europe is brought back into right. Europe, and eventually the Soviet Union would fall. But and all of that was happening right now, but you really couldn't see it. Well, it's all a matter of like you're pointing out. It's a matter of perspective, right? If you're talking about a progressive, all those ideals, uh, progressive progressivism, mm -hmm. were coming down because it was a conservative wave that was covering the country, right? And I think sometimes people put blinders on, on, and all I do is see the bad things. Right. Um, if you look at it, I mean, I grew up in the 70s. We talked before about energy crisis and things of that. It's gasoline getting very expensive. You know, cars going from things that were like 18, 20 foot long to something now that's, you know, maybe 12 foot long. You know, these little small compacts that came over from, from, from Japan. Right. And now, you know, this is... When you got to the 80s, you had the recession in the early 80s, and then suddenly, you know, you get this expansion period, and pretty much everybody did well. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't just in the U.S. either. It was global. Yep. I mean, you know, with Margaret Thatcher, and she was criticized because she was turning more into a a, uh, a capitalist as opposed to more of the what they were used to in the socialist kind of economy, and many Britons flourished under that mm -hmm. same kind of thing. Well, you had you had not only the, the expansion of the '80s, but then when the the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact and all of that fell apart, all of a sudden, you know, half the world opens up, it's, and so the the '90s were you know a huge expansion period sure. yeah. as well. It's funny they called this the end of the innocence, and all that stuff that's bad was going away. Like, yeah, is that the innocence? <laughs> Communism, get out of well, here! Well, it's yeah. just it's just the perspective, you know. It's it's hard when you're in the middle of something, yeah, to see it. All right, we're rocking here. A little bit more, a little more. This seems like a deeper track to me. It 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 is. You might have heard this on the radio, but I, this is a little deeper deeper song. This is the heaviest song on the album. Yeah, buddy. I do like the way the drums start out here. So most of the album is pretty introspective. Um, this album is less synthesizer heavy than Building the Perfect Beast. Mm -hmm. um, it's more reflective. Um, this particular song is not all that introspective. Though. What's the name of this song? This song is called I Will Not Go Quietly. And uh, it's got kind of a long lead. We were talking before the episode started that this is a longer episode for us because we're getting out of the, the vinyl era and into the CD era. And, it, you know, the, the, Make it as the long restrictions as weren't there that they used to be. So. Yeah, there's albums at the time. You could only put maybe eight to ten songs on an album side. Yeah. And that was it. And unless you were Yes or somebody like that, and it was one song per side. Right. Yeah, basically the, the album, you had about 40 minutes, mm -hmm. give or take. And, and then with the CDs, you had 72 minutes or better. And, and, and then they didn't really worry about keeping the song length the same. So you got longer leads in, longer lead-ins, longer lead-outs. What I liked about CDs is uh, they would put little, I guess, golden eggs in the in, at the end. They would yeah. like have an, 
uh, I guess, dead air for maybe like three minutes, and then the song, uh, a, a song that's not on the right. on the CD, come on, and it's like, oh, okay, what was that? Or you add songs and not have them listed, and that yep. was that was the fun thing. Or there was a song listed, and then it would take forever to you know find it. This reminds me a little bit of him telling the story in Dirty Laundry for some reason. Like, he kind of talks, he's kind of, you know, yeah. telling the story. He's talking to you a little bit. He's yeah. not singing. That's kind of a hallmark of Don Henley yeah. stuff. You've got this kind of lyric lyric kind of quality to it. So, And that's the thing. I've never, it's his, his politics have never bothered me that much just because I feel like that's where he's coming from an authentic place, and but his lyrics are are, are solid and the songs are good. You'll so. find ninety-five percent of artists are going to be on the on the more liberal, cent- progressive, yeah, right? Liberal, central, centralist. You know, there's very few, you know, conservatives. You know, Ted Nugent. You, know, you can throw a couple of them out right, there, but right. usually they're not. They're not that overt. Exactly. Now, Bruce, did he collaborate on these tracks with he J.D. Did. Southern? Is this J.D. Souther co-writing with it? Or is no. It some- listen to that. Listen to the backup lyrics there. See if you can tell who that is. Guns and Roses. Exactly. Oh, that's, it is. That's Axl Rose. Axl really? Rose, yes. I remember when this was released that he actually sang with him on this album. I have this album. So, Don Henley was a pretty big deal at this point, and so, you know, he was able to collaborate with a lot of folks. Of course, Axl Rose right now is a big deal, too. So, this is four years after Appetite for Destruction. He's a hot commodity. Um, But, uh, but yeah, he had Axl Rose collaborating with him on this. And I like, I think it's, I think these lyrics coming up are the ones that I really like here. Yeah, here it is. Don't you ever get down. Yeah, I like those lyrics. Yeah, that's one that you a lot of times get out of uh, Don Henley as well. This this idea of the the press and the celebrity and all of that kind of coming out. Well, that's what he wrote "Dirty Laundry" about, right? This was um, also, I think, this was the last year that Miami Vice. Was on. They were on for about five seasons. Oh, they yeah? started in 80, 84, 85. Right, yeah. So I think about this this time period, this music, this style with, with them. Oh, really? Well, because I equate it to Glenn Fry because he had a lot of the songs on there. But Well, top hits of June of 1989. Wind Beneath My Wings, Bet Midler. Ugh, I hate that song. <laughs> we're not going to cover that one. Here's another one we're not going to cover. I'll Be Loving You Forever, New Kids on the Block. Uh, new Kids. That was a terrifying concert. Uh, I've got was, to tell you. I'm glad I never so I went was, to that concert. I was at, oh, my goodness. No, no, no. I didn't go to the concert. All right. I did not. But there's a story behind that. I, uh, I was at Georgia Tech, and New Kids on the Block played at Grant Field. And... I was there when the Rolling Stones came. I was there even when the uh, we had um, uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, well, we had a set number of different concerts and things. We had a lot of different uh, celebrities and things. But when they came, you had thousands of screaming oh. preteen girls, unchaperoned, running around on the Georgia Tech campus. That is a time that you go inside and you lock your door. <laughs> <laughs> Three more top hits. Uh, Bobby Brown had every little step. 
uh, and Nina Cherry had Buffalo Stance, and Michael Damien had Rock On. Mm. All those I don't remember, and I'm glad I don't remember. <laughs> so we're going to keep on going on through this album with Don Henley, and what's this song? And now we're taking it down a step. This is Georgia. Such a great song. Yeah. It <laughs> sounds like it, doesn't it? This one is almost symphonic. I remember when Don Henley introduced it on the Hell Freezes Over video. He says, "This is a song about appreciating what you have." Right. Yep. And this was it was uh, it was made it onto the Hell Freezes Over tour and album. So the Eagles would would cover this later on in 1994. Yeah. The harmonies are incredible. They are, aren't they? So there's a lot of collaborations in this song as well. Um, one of them on the piano, David Page. Do we recognize that name? Toto. Absolutely. And uh, he did the uh, he did the piano and he did the strings. Um, and this is uh, also Jeff Porcano on drums. Yep. Jeff Porcaro. Jeff Porcaro. I'm sorry. You're yeah. right. Again from Toto. So Don Henley collaborated with a lot of different artists yeah he did uh, were they on this whole album again you said Bruce Hornsby I wonder yeah. if he was just on that song or if he was on others I believe Bruce Hornsby was only on the end of the end okay. it sounded like he's just bringing on each song he's finding somebody different we had yeah. Axl Rose on the last song right some now of that is some my guys. choice too I, I mean oh, okay. I'm picking out I, now I imagine David David Page and, and uh Jeff Picaro. Jeff Picaro are probably playing on other other places as well. Yeah. See if you recognize these voices. I recognize that. I, I know I should. It's a distant connection. Do you remember the group Take Six? No. no. So, okay, then, then you won't know. Take Six was... A an acapella. Um, it was a it was a jazz group, but it had a Christian leanings. Um, really, really strong singers, and uh, so Take Six is doing the. Uh, so we the brought them on to do the background. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. So this is a great song. I, it oh, is. It's 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 one of these. I don't know why I'm I'm attracted to the melancholy songs, but this is definitely a melancholy song. Mm -hmm. It's about you know how everything changes you know you can lose people so quickly the wolf is always at the door and mm -hmm. all of that stuff are you sure that he wasn't on miami vice <laughs> <laughs> he is if you want him to be rob it sounds he like is. something that would be in the background he might have been he might have been we had the white jacket so you know yeah <laughs> well and he had the connection too yeah I like this song. I'm going to listen to it more. I'm going to buy it. Now, this one, I believe, did make it, you know, it was kind of a minor hit at the time, but yeah. where I think most people recognize it is from the Eagles. Mm -hmm. And you can see right. how the Eagles would, how, how it would work with them oh, because yeah. of yeah. the harmonies and things like that. Sounds like some of the deeper cuts on Hotel California that we talked about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Of course, the Eagles are touring again this summer. They just completed their shows at the time of this recording. They just completed three shows in Atlanta back in February. 
we're recording. In- I wonder, has have you been to see them recently? I saw them in the 1995 Hell Freezes Over tour. And I they saw were them in fantastic. 2007, and that was the last time I saw them. But, you know, since then, you've had, um, you know, of course, Glenn Fry passed, and um, they, they're they touring with... Um, uh, they're touring without Don Felder. Without Don Felder. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That so, was a nasty breakup there. Yeah. No, but uh, a friend of ours, all of ours, uh, recently went to one of the shows here, mm-hmm. and she said it was phenomenal. She said that uh, Dylan Fry, who sings a few songs in, in okay. for his dad, did a phenomenal job. But they also have with them Vince Gill, mm-hmm. who sings. Oh, okay. I think I does, heard that. Yeah, and he does, she said he does, and, and I've seen a couple of uh, live performances that they have on, I forget which channel, but. Access, um, AXS. I think maybe so. And, I've and seen that. Vince Phenomenal. Does a fun, just a wonderful, he's just right. a wonderful musician. So they're, they're still loaded with talent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would like to see him, but the tickets are so expensive. I, I like this lyric, by the way. This kind of turns it. I know there's somebody somewhere make these dark clouds disappear. Well, he's never made, him a, he's never made it uh, a secret that he has doubts about the divine. Yeah. But to, to, to express that, because I know there's something, but I just, I don't know if I buy what has been taught to me since I was a child. Yeah. I think I think in that particular lyric, it kind of turns the, the, the album, or it turns the song. Mm-hmm. Because he's been talking about, you know, loss and things like that. He's saying now, I know there's somebody somewhere that'll make these dark clouds disappear. Until that day, I have to believe I believe mm-hmm. in a New York minute, everything yeah. can change. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this guy's, I've seen many interviews with Don Henley. And as I think, Wayne, as you pointed out, he is very progressive. And, and I, I know that. And like you said, Bruce, we know that. It's, it doesn't, I, I, your political views are your political views, and that's fine. But he's so intelligent. Yeah. I mean, he's such a creative guy and so intelligent. But I also get the concept that. He's very difficult to work with. I mean, he is a perfectionist, <laughs> you, you and it's his way or the highway. And if you don't like it, uh-huh. you know, kind of like the Don Felder thing to a degree. But the Don Felder thing was more about Glenn Fry and Don Felder. And, and Henley got involved with it, too. And they basically said, off you go. Right. Well, I mean, this is the problem when you've got, and, and the Eagles honestly are a super group. When mm-hmm. you've got that much talent and, frankly, that many egos in there, it's oh, yeah. just it's a difficult thing to manage. Absolutely. So, oh yes. Recognize this one. Now this, the 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 end of the innocence is a big hit. Um, I will not go quietly in New York minute. Not as much of a hit. This one is back to a, a hit. So this was written and produced by Mike Campbell. Mm-hmm. Lead guitars for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. That's right. Ah. He's one of the Heartbreakers. And uh, there's another heartbreaker working on this album. Uh, drummer Stan Lynch is on here as well. Wow! So once again, bringing some people. From yeah. Oh yeah. Crew, so, well, that's the thing when you've got when you've got the celebrity status. And Mike Campbell, of course, is currently touring with Fleetwood Mac. Ah, very good. In place of Lindsey Buckingham. So there's an acoustic version of this that Henley did for MTV Unplugged. Yes. And there's an acoustic version that he does with the Eagles. Yes. In my opinion, both of those are better than the original. I love the acoustic. I second that notion. 
And this is really, and I've, and I've seen him talk about this, and this was one that really, it was therapeutic when he wrote it. Right. Because if you hear what he's talking about, it's just, it touches the soul. And many people, the reason for the popularity is because many people's lives were touched because they were in the exact same boat that he was in. He had to let go. And right. so the song you hear, it talks about the therapy of, I've got to let go. And I think it's about forgiveness. And it's just so powerful. My Even big, if. My biggest issue on, on this album and, and some of those top hits we were listening to is it this was sort of a bland era mm-hmm. uh, we talked about it so difficult to find albums and songs from 1989 or 1990 you know 88 it was big hair bands playing you know kind of popish songs it had a lot of stuff like this a lot of um, I guess pop stuff that just really just didn't resonate right and there was underpinnings of, of, of songs and, and groups that were starting to hit that unless you were really involved in music you weren't you weren't hearing it and and wanted to basically start kicking a little bit more butt that I'd like listen to this lyric I'm sorry I've got the wrong lyrics I may, I may have already missed them there's a, there's a set of lyrics in here that says, What are these voices outside love's open door that make us throw off our contentment and beg for something more? That's beautiful poetry, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this is uh, something I picked up on Song Facts. The, the musician Lord referred to that as the most incredible effing question of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Humans are never... Never, to, never satisfied. Contentment yeah. is such an elusive term. That's why we have Star Trek. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> we want to go where there's nowhere that no man has gone before. Oh, that's right. It does have a, a Tom Petty. Feel does, to yeah, it. you do. You feel the heartbreaker yeah. in there, don't you? Yeah, especially definitely. this guitar chord coming around here. Listen to this. Right, right here. You know hurt your you there, that's petty all over it. <laughs> that is petty all over it. It'll eat you up inside. Well, music of June of 1989. Uh, we're just going to go down some albums. There was an initial release for a group called Nirvana. Now, this was not the one that we think it was. It was not this Smells was, Like Teen Spirit. No, this is Bleach. And this is, like I said, the underpinnings. It was a kind of a, a release that was sort of underground. It was a, a, and it did have some of the songs that would end up on mm-hmm. the later albums. Cher had the pop album "Heart of Stone." Michael Bolton, you know, <laughs> once again one of these pop. Mr. Big, pop one, but Faith No More, you know, once again a little bit more of that kind of, you know, uh, alternative in, rock. Yeah, in, indie. Yeah, Bad English. More pop stuff. I think we. Sp- oh, bad English. Now they had a few folks. Well, that's where yeah, Neil Sean. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Neil Sean and Jonathan Kane, Jonathan I believe. Kane, yeah. With. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm losing the name. Uh, I can see. I, I, I can see his face. But yeah. yeah. With It'll the babies. With the babies. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. B52s, Cosmic Thing. That was big a big album. album. Huge. Huge. Yeah. Yep. Chris Isaac, Pete Townsend, The Hoodoo Gurus, Hugazi. Paul McCartney, Peter Gabriel, and mm. another Peter Gabriel album, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and Jackson Brown. Um, so, 
yeah, it was some mixture there, but you can see that kind of bubbling up. Mm-hmm. And thanks so, for sharing yeah, that thanks, album, Bruce. Bruce, that was awesome. Now we're moving on to our entertainment track, brought to us by Right Column Financial. Oh, I got a live one here. <laughs> this is a little odd. Do you know what it is yet? Yes. The movie Batman. The one directed by Tim Burton. Where did he get all of those toys? <laughs> <laughs> that was the imitation of Jack Nicholson coming from Brian. And Michael Keaton. I am Batman. This has got kind of a cool uh, groove to it, doesn't it? Yeah. This is Prince. He actually came out with the album called Batman at that time also. And this is a song, if not the entire album, where he actually did every instrument. Oh, he did that. Oh, yeah. I can believe it. And the mixing. This is called Bat Dance. Oh, the Bat Dance. Oh. This so, is, isn't this? He did the uh, the song when they come into the art to the art uh, uh, gallery, mm-hmm. and they're throwing paint everywhere. That's a Prince song. Yes. So, film of June of 1989. Now, this was the month to go see a film. I don't know. I I think I've seen pretty well, much all big, of these. The biggest ones are usually in the summer releases. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Of course, we had Batman, Ghostbusters 2, oh, the uh, second one. Uh, it wasn't that great, but uh, still was funny. Disappointing, but that's a, that's an old that's another story. License to Kill, oh, the 16th a, uh, James yeah, Bond yeah. film with Timothy Dalton on it. Yeah. Dead Poets Society, oh. starring Robin Williams. Still one of my favorite roles that he ever played. Yeah. We had No Holds Barred, which was a film starring Hulk Hogan. Karate Kid 3. With Ralph Macchio and Pat Maria. Do the Right Thing. Spike Lee's movie. Big movie. Yeah, yeah. big one. We just now it just slows. It just changes complete tempo. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a different song. Now, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That was the kid movie yeah, out with one. Rick Moranis. The first one? That was the first one. That was a great yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about all these came out in June of 89. And finally, one of my favorite ones that I enjoyed very much, Dennis Quaid played the starring role of Great Falls of Fire. It was based on Jerry Lee Lewis's life. And I tell you what, he did a hell of a job on it. But, uh, yeah, if you want to look up an interesting life, um, Jerry Lee Lewis's uh, life in the 50s was was, – Interesting, needless to say. Yeah. Well, he was certainly the antithesis of his cousin, Jimmy Swaggart. That's right. <laughs> They're cousins? I didn't know oh, that. Yeah. yeah, there's another thing about cousins, yeah. about Jim, Jerry Lee Lewis. You don't want to get involved. All right, we won't go there. But that was, uh, that's our entertainment for uh, June of 1989. This song goes on forever, so we're going to move on to staff picks. Yep. Now, staff picks coming from Brian this time. All right, all you ladies out there that had Kip Winger up on your, you know, pinned up on your wall, this is for you. This I'm sorry, I cannot <laughs> hear this song without thinking of Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> and the nerdy kid had Winger That's on right. his. The nerdy kid had the Winger t- t-shirt. This is a track from Winger's debut album called "Headed for a Heartbreak." Every hair band, every heavy metal had to have a power ballad, right? Oh, yeah. So this is it. This is the one. His voice is really, he's a very 
uh, seasoned, very professional musician that um, you really don't know a lot of. I really didn't know a lot about it until I actually read about this. But he is a, a, an accomplished vocalist. Very, and he's professionally trained. Yeah, he has his, yeah. his range is almost as impressive as Freddie Mercury's. Okay. You know, as far as his ability to be as flexible as going up to the high seas. Even, you, well, know, you just heard him go way up, way and now up. he's... Yeah. Yep. And he basically said he, he wrote the riff, and we jammed on a little bit, and it was just one of those things that happened magically. You talk to many people who think the best ideas happen by accident, and that was definitely one of them. A lot of times I'll sit down, and, and the stuff will just drop into my hands and I don't even think about it that was just one of these songs where it just came together and when I when I removed the the stigma of a, a hairband and a you know a pinup it really is a pretty impressive song yeah, because I right. love his voice yeah yeah he's got a solid voice but uh, I still remember the girls oh Kip Winger oh. <laughs> okay kind of you know, the screaming, I'm sure when you, I never saw him in concert, but I'm sure it's one of these, he was treated like one of these boy bands where the young ladies would go in there and just scream every minute and just say, all right, I'm here in five minutes, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, I saw I saw somewhere that one of the members of the group, he was like either the rhythm guitarist or whatever, he's ended up like in a, on a construction site, just a, a supervisor. And people will come up to him and just go, hey, weren't you with this group? And he's like, yeah. But, you know, after a while, the residuals disappear and, you know, you're not making any more money. And right, you got to go right. actually get a real job. Yeah, it's funny when you when you learn what the, the famous rock people did. I never forget David Lee Roth talking about being a paramedic in New York City and having people get in the ambulance. Uh-huh. And he's like, they're like, wait a minute, you're David Lee Roth. Because, <laughs> yeah, I'm here to save your life. Huh. He was that. He did. Oh, that. after the Van Halen. Yeah, place. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, wow. Like, yeah. Okay, now I didn't know that. Absolutely. I mean, that, these guys, they go out and they do, they flip burgers or they open a restaurant or something. So, yeah. wow. But Winger also says, this is from Song Facts. He says, this is a case where this is a definitive Winger song. He said, basically, the construction of it and the, the production of it, he says, Headed for a Heartbreak for me exemplifies the band the most because of the way Rod Morgenstein on drums, you can hear the strong percussion here, and also from Rob Beach, the lead guitarist. You can hear this is oh, solo yeah. Here. So he said, this is what they wanted to accomplish in, a, in presenting Winger. You, it features their musicianship and, of course, his voice, Rob, or Kip Winger's voice. So... What we're hearing, according to Kip Winger, is a definitive Winger song. Yeah. It's interesting. Some of the some of this background uh, keyboard work reminds me of Saga a little bit. You yeah. guys remember Saga? Yeah, yeah. That's an album that I'm going to do. No, That's I'm going to do it. I've already no, no, it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I've already written it down. <laughs> All right. All right, break it up, guys. Break it up. Rob over in this corner. Bruce in that corner. Stop I'm doing throwing, Worlds Apart. Stop throwing What are you cups. doing? What? Worlds Apart, yeah. Worlds Apart, that's it. All right. All right, we got a thumb wrestle so, for somebody, it. somebody better get to a computer real quick and put it in the database. I'm looking. At, I'm the only one looking at a computer right now. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's recording. So, But who? Uh, what was Winger's breakthrough song? It wasn't this one, but what was his breakthrough song? Come on. 
Now that I'm listening to she's this, she's only one, 17. Yeah, I'm only seven. Yeah, oh. she's only 17. So that, yeah, that was where he made the explosion. She was just 17. If you, you know, know what, what I mean. mean. That's another kick butt song. Yeah, I mean that propelled him to superstardom and into Tiger Rag and all this other, you know, teen magazines. So absolutely. Tiger Beat. Yes. Tiger Beat. Tiger Rag. Listen to me. I don't even know the Yeah, another song. another long song at five minutes and 14 seconds. So. Yeah. About two minutes longer than it needed to be. <laughs> 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 All right, fist bump, fist bump. There you go. All right, now we're going to go to Rob on his staff. We, we talked a little bit about kind of, uh, you know, some of the music changing a little bit. And I, I put 10,000 Maniacs, to me, kind of into that alternative uh, group. But believe it or not, this was their fourth album called Blind Man's Zoo. Hmm. This is Trouble Me by 10,000 Maniacs, and it, this song made it to number 44 on the charts. But just listen to that voice. Well, who is it? Natalie Merchant. Voice. Natalie Merchant. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, if you her solo album, Tiger Lily, yeah. is yes. fantastic. And it's not a very strong voice. It's just... Very, no, it's very just, it's it has a uniqueness. Yes, yeah, it, it, and it's definitely. not your normal singing. It's just a little, yeah, definitely little a different, staple. and it has has that. And it's, but it's easy to hear. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Rob. Sorry. This song is about her dad. He was sick. He was in the hospital, and she was talking about trouble me, give me all your cares and worries. Why let your shoulders bend underneath this burden when my back is sturdy and strong? It's about sharing your burdens, which I, I like that message a lot. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, message. here. Underneath this burden. Well, in this group here, four of us, three of us have lost our fathers, and that, 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 that hits close. This was uh, a very, you heard this song a good bit on the radio. Uh, their first American hit was a cover of Peace Train mm-hmm. by Cat Stevens. Oh, yeah. So 10,000 Maniacs, the name was inspired by 2,000 Maniacs, was a horror movie that came out. Um, and uh, Natalie was quoted as saying she never liked to tie with maniacs and said it never fit them but it did help them stand out yeah it sort of sounds like a punk rock group it, it does it did, you know they're not punk no. <laughs> anything but a couple of different documentaries about them and i liked what uh, where are they now on vh1 they referred to uh, 10,000 maniacs as a socially conscious alternative band and then they said it's NPR with a beat. <laughs> okay. I've okay. never heard I that. I can see that. I can <laughs> see that. They had songs about child abuse and alcoholism and all kinds of issues, you know, health issues and that type of thing. NPR with a beat. Yeah, how about that? But That's, now Natalie Merchant was kind of the heart and soul of the band. Wasn't yeah, she? but but she so they were founded in 81. John Lombardo was instrumental in them starting, and then he left when uh, Natalie left in 1993. Uh, she went to on to do her own thing, and then John came back. We're kicking it up. We are? This yeah. must be Wayne. And talking about punk. Now we're getting more. Okay. All right. This is... You wanted punk. You got punk. Offspring. 
their first debut album that actually got discontinued. It was a discontinued print. It's before they really hit it big. Oh. And what, what part of Manchester are these guys from? <laughs> They're from California, buddy. <laughs> they came up along with uh, Green Day, Rancid, Bad Religion, and Pennywise, which I focused okay. on earlier. Yep. So you kind of got this. This song is called Tehran. As so, in the capital of? Of Iran. And so what's interesting about this, what I liked about this album, this song, was it kind of fits for today. Because they re-released this song and called it... Instead of with Iran, it was uh, Tehran, it was Iraq. And the thing is, is it's sort of an anti-war song. Oh, I'm loving this. Yeah, yeah listen Headband. to that. <laughs> Captain said, kill or die, Islam be down. Make your last stand in Tehran. Soon America may find its young men in the sand where ca- their casualty is just a number in Iran. Hmm. So... It kind of fits for today since we're having this big thing going on right now with Iran. But they released it, like I said, for Iraq during Desert Storm and changed the name. Well, there's your offspring sound. Yes, the yeah, vocals is what gave it away to me. Yeah. And the lead singer is Dexter Holland. And we talked about guys that have a, a, a Ph.D. or a doctor behind them. He has a Ph.D. in molecular biology. Which, really? Yeah, so that talk about interesting and different. And so what happened is is I mean, a punk rock group having a somebody who has a doctorate. Also, he has his own brand of hot sauce. It's named Gringo Bandito. <laughs> <laughs> he is a punk rocker, a molecular biologist, and has his own hot sauce. Now, this is a, a Renaissance man. Let me kick <laughs> it one more up. He's also a licensed pilot. In November of 2004, Holland completed a 10-day solo flight around the world. <laughs> wow. Well, this album came out only as a 12-inch vinyl or in cassette, so you couldn't get it on uh, CD or anything else. And they only uh-huh. sold about 5,000 copies. And it said it took, took them two and a half years to sell all 5,000 copies, so... Wow, I, I'm sorry, Wayne. Did you say this was a um, this was their first one, first album? Yeah. yeah, but obviously they kept the originals and they re-released it later as digital, so you can still get it as a digital. Very uh, nice. All Zach right. Is that or not? Ah, and we talked about this group earlier, and I think Bruce is bringing. We're it coming to back us. to Bruce, That's right? See if you recognize that guitar. Oh, yeah. This is Stevie Ravon and Double Trouble. This is off their fourth album called In Step. And this is the first album after he had gone through uh, drug and alcohol rehab. Oh. And In Step refers to the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So this was also... The last album with Double Trouble before Stevie Ray Vaughan would uh, be killed in the helicopter. Yeah, that crash. was horrible. Yeah, but I love the sound, and there's there's a little difference. So, at, of course, Stevie Ron and Stevie Ray Vaughan is on guitar and vocals, and uh, Tommy Shannon is bass guitar. Chris Layton is percussion, and that's been Double Trouble traditionally. But you also hear the keyboards in there, and that's Reese Winans on keyboards. Mm. Listen to that bass. 
the, the bass is walking, which yes. oh, yeah. which yeah. is nice with the step connotation. You know, your right. step, your bass is stepping. I like That's that. Fine. This is one of those songs that we always refer to as if you're driving, somehow the gas pedal starts to slowly get lower. The foot gets heavier. To me, this is a spring song. Finally, the the weather turns, and now it's 70 to 80 degrees, and you can put the top down and just play this in the afternoon. I never was able to do that, though, Wayne, because I always messed my hair up, and the hair got in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Says the man with no hair. That's right. Man, listen to that guitar. Oh, yeah. He was just a phenomenal. In my opinion, Stevie Ray Vaughan is the greatest guitarist ever. But he had he had other musicians in his family, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy Vaughan, Jimmy Vaughan was a big guitarist. Yeah. He was with the so, Fabulous Thunderbirds. That's right. And they would do, um, they would release posthumously uh, family style with Stevie Ray and Jimmy Vaughan. We had one song of that on uh, Staff Pick, but I think it was an instrumental. I think we did that oh, yeah? before. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. The big one off of that one was uh, Time's Ticking Away. You got a little horn in the background? Yeah, they do, don't they? Yes. Yeah, it's a pretty, there's a lot going on. A lot of, a lot of instruments all playing oh, together. Yeah. Oh, I love this group. This is one I really, I really hate it that I never saw Stevie Ray Vaughan in concert. I got to meet him. We talked about that during yeah. when we did the album. Got to meet him at, at the uh, Blues Festival. And so that was nice. And, and it, it was probably two weeks before he died. So oh, wow. It, it, oh, was, wow. It, was, it was nice to see him. Um, it was nice to see that he got his stuff together after that you know awful period with drugs. Yeah. Well, he was just such a strong. Is you know the the of course the guitarist is the the, the guitars are great, but the uh, the lyrics are strong, the voice is strong. I just love I loved everything about it. Well, I'll say that I have a little bit more respect for 1989 right now than I thought I had. Well, there's more <laughs> resurgence of of the blues because you had Robert Cray, you had lo- yeah. you know there there was a big resurgence of that type of music at this time. You know, unfortunately, now it's sort of got, gone back to its own yeah. corner. But yeah, I like the way this one ends too. Yeah, yeah. Be careful, you're about to fall off. Mm. And that's it. That's great. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Yes, indeed. So this is our instrumental to end it up. And we talked about this group earlier, releasing probably one of the top albums of uh, 1989. This is the B-52s. It's off a cosmic thing. I this wore this CD out. Follow your out. bliss. Wore it out. But it's this is a peaceful, just a mellow type of song. Maybe you want to hear, but at the end of the day, just to chill it out before you hit the sack. Yep. And this is where we kind of catch up to what, we're, what we did talk about earlier. Um, 
So in music of 1989, singer-songwriter Carol King gets a star on the Walk of Fame. Mm. Well deserved. Yeah, exactly. She, golly, are you kidding me? Paper Street. That's a that that that. That's Which is an excellent Broadway production. My wife saw it in New York. She said it was fantastic. Ah, we may have to have to if that rolls around and starts doing a yeah. tour. Have to. Yeah, we're, we're planning for, to go. Absolutely. Sounds good. Jerry Lee Lewis gets a star on the. Hollywood Walk of Fame, obviously corresponding with the movie. I thought it would be more like the Biloxi Walk of Shame. (laughs) (laughs) And in television of June in 1989, uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, premieres on the USA Network, which is, you know, usually it does like HBO or something of that sort. And then Tales of the Crypt. It's debuts on HBO. So that's one of those, you know, ones i don't know if you saw it was interesting yeah different yep and that was june of 1989 this is what the riff i'm wayne i'm rob i'm brian and i'm bruce and we'll see you next time thanks for listening to what the riff we hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Column Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?